Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that have come out this week. And I'll tell you what, big week for Image Comics. Uh, yeah. Yes. This is... What a, was, they, released, they released so many images. It's yes. like, they should be called <laughs> Images. Oh. Images Comics. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, the only reason I bring that up in the beginning is because usually we try to be a little picky and choosy from each publisher, so we get a smattering of things from all over the spectrum. Um, but there was so much great stuff from Image, you're going to see it popping up almost every other book, starting with our first review on the podcast, Chew, number one from Image Comics, written and lettered uh-huh. by John Lehman, drawn and colored by Dan Boltwood. Now, this is C-H-U, Chew, not C-H-E-W. Right. Yes. This is, important. as writer John Lehman explains in the back matter, he kind of looks at it as Better Call Saul to Breaking Bad with Chew, where they both exist on their own, but they weave between each other. This is focusing on another member of Tony Chu's family who turns to a life of crime instead of a life of policehood. Uh, Pete, you were a big fan <laughs> of Chu. What did you think about I, this one? I was. Uh, I thought it was a really fun creative series. This is cool because uh, I didn't kind of know what we were doing here. So, like, it's an interesting <laughs> it's a, start. It's a comic book podcast, so we talk about the comics and review them. Not what we're doing here. I'm talking oh, oh, about what oh, the okay. comic was doing. Well, this, this podcast is kind of, I always think of it as, like, the Better Call Saul to our live show, which is our Breaking <laughs> that's, Bad. It's a good call. That is a good wow. call. Wow, that's bold. That's a bold statement. Um, but We're I definitely really fleshing like... out a lot of backstory in this podcast, for sure. <laughs> like, I want to uh, know how Pete, I want to know how Pete became Pete. Yeah, oh, that's um, why Pete has that drawer full of uh, cell phones. I get it now. So, yeah, and I, we finally kind of get how it all connects at the end. It's really well put together. Um, it's it's great. It's got a, kind of a fun feel like Chew does, but it's also a little bit different, which is nice. And we're kind of getting the bad sisters side uh, here. So it's a, it's a, it's cool. I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah, I agree. I thought this was great, um, especially like I wasn't the biggest Chew guy. Um, I know you guys were more into Chew, um, but I think this does a good job of like starting fresh. Like I feel like I didn't need to know any of the Chew stuff to come in on Chew. 
I miss Rob Gilroy on art a little bit, particularly because what he does so well is add so many ridiculous details in the background, like little products and visual jokes and things. And I think Dan Boltwood does a great job with the art, and it feels different enough that it's its own thing, but cohesive with what Rob Gilroy did on Chew originally. Um, but... Uh, John Lehman's writing, always great. That did feel a little lacking to me, but at the same time, I'm definitely on board. It seems like a fun crime thriller, and there's a great setup there. Yeah. But you said his writing is lacking on this one? No. Oh. I I said the opposite of that. John Lehman's writing is always good. Oh, yeah. It's not lacking. It's not lacking. I said it's not, not, not lacking. I said not three times in a row. Yeah, I think he uh. said it's crack-a-lacking. <laughs> <laughs> That's his number one compliment. Do you know yeah. what is crack-a-lacking is Billy Batson's oh, Life over in Shazam, number 13 from DC Comics, written by Jeff Johns and art by Dale Eaglesham. After a one-issue detour with a new team, which I think we all agreed was surprisingly great. Yes, back yeah, to the main storyline where Billy Batson's dad has been turned into an evil Shazam by Mr. Mind. The whole monster society of evil is there, taking it to the Marvel family right in Philadelphia. Um, man, this is so big and so good. And Jeff Johns, as usual, knows exactly how to write Shazam. Dale Eaglesham's art is phenomenal. I love this book. Yeah, I was really impressed. I also love the way it starts. You know, you kind of got this, uh, you know, Black Adam is knocked the fuck out. And you've got this huge, like, splash page, title page that felt very kind of like old school comic-y in such a great way. Uh, I really love the action, the storytelling. This is a really fun uh, book. And I really wish... Uh, this kind of craziest wasn't going on right now because I want to go to my comic book shop and buy this book because I feel like holding it and looking at the spread pages would be yep. just so amazing. And kissing. And kind of, yeah. Well, I, I just it just <laughs> sucks. Said, yeah. <laughs> I can't hold it. You know, I can't. It can't be Kiss in my it. hands right now. You really said yeah. Um, I I like this a lot too. It's amazing that Jeff Johns can he. Anytime he really gets connected with a character, uh, he really blows the world out, and he sort of Green Lanternified um, the Shazam world with this, uh, with his run on this, and it's fun. Uh, it's in Philly, sucking on a cheesesteak, obviously, and <laughs> great stuff. I I agree with you that Jeff Johns is uh, killing it. The writing is really great. I wish he wouldn't just say Green Lanternified because I don't really like the Green Lantern. But I think that like that last page was such a great last page. It really feels like the writer and the artist are having a lot of fun on that. And that whole pick on someone your own size was a really cool badass. Uh, amazing. Yeah, I really like this book. The only and this is a little bit of a weird qualm to bring up. I wish it hadn't taken thirteen issues to get here because. Yeah, okay. It feels like, oh, uh, Billy Batson's dad being an evil Shazam is such a good, smart, clear idea in line with what he did with Professor Zoom or Zoom eventually for The Flash, what he did with Sinestro for Green Lantern, where he just focuses in on the hero and their opposite and makes this work. Uh, you need that set up because you got to set up all these lands. Um, so where this is heading and where this is concluding is, I think is great. I do wish I, we had gotten there a little bit faster. Yeah. I think he's just, you know, he's really rewarding the fans who stuck in there, you know, 
Okay. Yeah. All right, Pete, why don't you go kiss that comic book? Empire kiss number two comic. from Marvel Comics. Story by Al Ewing and Dan Slott. Script by Al Ewing. Art by Valerio Shidi. This is one week after the first issue of Empire, when it turned out, spoiler, it's not a Kree Skrull invasion of Earth. It's actually a Kowati invasion of Earth. The plant people that initially seem friendly, though everybody kind of doubted it a little bit, Don't trust are actually those plants. the big bads of the crossover. Uh, we are picking up here where the Fantastic Four and Avengers are wheeling in space, basically having been nearly destroyed by these plant people who now have their eyes on Earth. What would you think about the second issue? Uh, I like I mean, I'm into this uh, this crossover. It feels uh, a little different than this, a lot of the crossovers lately. Like, I think I said this last time that the Avengers made mistakes uh, so early on. And to them, for them to in this issue, I feel like sort of be wavering a lot and not quite know what's up, I think is cool, especially Tony Stark. Um so I'm I'm excited to see where they sort of uh, go with this and how it how they blow out, because. It's also like they're the the bad guys, the Quadi uh, are on Earth now. So it's like the losing is happening already. There's not much yeah. more to be done in that department. <laughs> right. Um, I feel like uh, now that we're like really going in this uh, story, I'm really into it more. Uh, it took a little bit for me to kind of get into this, but now that I am, I feel like it's really kind of picking up pace and moving along at a, at a cool clip. We're kind of understanding who's who and what's going on. And uh, I think this is a, a really cool event. I'm excited to see where this goes. We get some real badass. Uh, lots of uh, hammers. Thor, lots of badass Thor stuff. That whole, like, what's that sound? What's going on? And Thor's like, my hand is open. I was like, oh, that's badass. Yeah, yeah, this is very fun. I feel very similarly to this issue that I felt with the last issue where it's fun action. Al Ewing and Dan Slott know how to write this stuff. They know how to make it enjoyable. It feels big. Uh, but this is definitely one, and we'll get and talk about the other book uh, that from Empire. There were a bunch that came out this week later on the stack. This is one that feels like it needs more character moments to me. Like, I don't want... I agree with that. Nonstop action. I want to pause a little bit in the middle here. Uh, and no. that's where a lot of the crossover stuff comes in, I think. You want to get to know the plants. Mm-hmm. No. Whatever they offer you, though they're slopping the trough for you, please, whatever they offer you, don't feed the plants. Wow. <laughs> okay. A little shop of ours. Yeah, I figured ah, that, nice. but um, yeah. still, it, th that's one of those things that, like, you have to be a fan to really know that, and you sounded <laughs> truly crazy for a brief moment there. Yeah. It's my favorite musical of all time. Birthright number 45 from Image Comics, written by Joshua Williamson and art by Andre Bresson. This is picking up on the epic last issue of Birthright when our heroes finally went head-to-head -head with Lore, the God King who has plagued them since the first issue and, spoiler alert right here, won! And so now we're yeah. going to see a bunch of the events that happen at the same time as that go beyond it. Things predictably don't go exactly the right way they should. Pete, what's going on? I can't believe this wasn't Justin's favorite book. I mean... He's excited about low, but like this has been his jam for get so off, yo, long. Get off my jock, dude. 
Dude, I'm just saying, where are you at, bro? Like, I like you... all comics. I like pretty much most comics. And uh... yeah, but like you've been like birthright, 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 and then this is the last issue, and you're like, I like low. This you is know, not like... the last issue of Birthright, um, which is maybe why I wasn't. Um, I am excited about it. Um, but what I would say about this is it it goes almost too well here. Um, yeah. So uh, I feel like the these last two or last three issues even have been such um, showpieces for the art um, yes. that I feel like sort of the nuanced character moments are what we're going to get into with these last few issues coming next. Yeah, there's definitely a setup at the end here without getting into spoilers for this one that means some bad things for our main family. Um, I'm surprised that it has gone on much farther than the last issue, but clearly there's more story to tell. And I'm really interested to see what Joshua Williamson brings to the table. Yeah, this thing has been really unbelievable. And uh, I'm really decided to see how well this ends up because it's been really a heck of a, a voyage. Next up, Batman number 95 from DC Comics, written by James Tynion IV, art by Joe Jimenez or Jimenez. Uh, this is the official kickoff of the Joker War, the real storyline that James Tynion was building up to the entire time. We thought it was mano a mano with the designer. Turns out Joker was pulling the strings the entire time. Joker the now whole has. Time. Bruce Wayne's entire fortune, he is running Wayne Industries, has basically taken over Gotham City and finally puts his plan in action. It is exactly as targeted and harrowing and messed up as you might imagine. How'd you feel about this kickoff? This was really fucking crazy in all the right ways. I mean, Batman is getting his ass handed to him in the beginning. We get this really fantastic flashback with Alfred, which was very touching, uh, you know, since he's not alive. And that whole kind of like (laughs) weird thing of like, holy shit, Joker has control. And then it's like. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? And he's buying up like all these movie theaters. You get that creepy movie theater guy. Like this writing is really intense and so much stuff is happening. Uh, it's a real roller coaster. And like Punchline, I'm still very much loving Punchline. Um, and it was rough seeing Lucius Fox tortured like that. Uh, yeah, I, I really like this as well. I feel like uh, James is a really smart writer and put giving the Joker the – Bruce Wayne's money is a way to power him up in a way that doesn't feel overpowered. Uh, it's like a prank power in a lot of ways. And I think that matches really well with his character and it doesn't feel too deviant, uh, from his character. So like I'm I'm I think this is a sweet beginning to this. I'm excited to see where it goes. The other thing that I think is kind of fascinating about this particularly because uh, I'm sure they'd look at it differently now but James started as a uh, acolyte is probably a crazy word to use but <laughs> <laughs> Scott Cold Snyder member? Uh, Scott Snyder was his mentor, right? Like yeah. he was his teacher. He uh, brought him into comics. He taught him a lot of the things that he knows. They worked together. And Scott always bounced around this idea of, does the Joker know who Batman is or not? And I think ultimately fell on the side of, he does know, but he eradicates it from his memory because that would change their dynamic. Because yeah. in the same way the Joker is the Joker, he doesn't want to believe that Batman is anybody other than Batman. Yeah. James seems to be playing with something entirely different here, still bouncing around the idea based on the fact that he's buying up all the movie theaters, making them show Mask of Zorro or Mark of Zorro. I don't know. 
which one? Probably the Antonio Banderas movie, I assume. Yes. Uh, I mean, that's the more, that one hurts more, honestly. <laughs> Despite the fact that Mark of Zorro is what his parents died seeing, yeah. Mask of Zorro just could have been better. Right. You it could have been Come a little on, better. Man. Well, and you watch it and you're like, Catherine Zeta Jones ended up with Michael Douglas? Yes. Come God, on. It just feels. She had strange. such a career ahead of her. Oh my, what is happening right now? Uh, We're just anyway, being real, Pete. We're being don't real. Don't tell people how to live their lives. <laughs> I can tell Catherine Zeta-Jones uh, to do whatever I want. No, you cannot. I yes, can, no. because it won't change her mind in any way. Wow. Zalb and Zeta-Jones right next to each other. They probably oh, sat next to each man. other in school. And so yeah. they have a long-standing Prob- connection. We were they lab partners. Uh, we did this experiment where they shot lasers across the room, and she did a thing where she, like, very slinkily went through the lasers. <laughs> <laughs> like it. Like Amazing. <laughs> Absolutely Amazing Spider-Man Sins Rising Prelude number one from Marvel Comics written by Nick Spencer and art by Guillermo Sana. Uh, it's interesting. We were speculating a little bit with the last issue of yes. Amazing Spider-Man what direction we were going in. There were teases of the Sin Eater um, but they all seem to be at the back and call of this new villain Kindred who also seems to be somebody who knows Peter Parker. Here we get a little more clarity on that. There is going to be this a crossover storyline, whatever you want to call it, called Sins Rising that brings the real Sin Eater back to life. Here we find out what's been going on with him, how he escaped from hell. This is... Uh, I really was very impressed by this issue. This is wow, very yeah. dark, but so well put together. It's sort of... I, when we talked about the book uh, on last uh, last episode... Um, I thought I was like, oh, it's a little darker after I've complimented Nick Spencer's ability to make Spider-Man fun again. Um, And then these last two issues have just gotten darker and darker. And Spider-Man's sort of a side character in this issue, even. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say this is a Spider-Man book. This is uh, this reminds me of like maybe an image or a Dark Horse book where it's uh, it's really fucked up dream world shit going on where you don't really know what's happening, and there's this really weird talk show, um, and Spider-Man's kind of like a spoof of himself. Uh, he even makes fun of the, you know, the black costume. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure people like this. So, cool. <laughs> uh, I think it's great. And just the, the, the mashing of mashing up of the art styles and the way like it just moved through the different bringing back the history of Sin Eater while telling this new story. I thought was just great across the board. It yeah, really I'm, doesn't make me want to ever eat apples again. No, I mean, you shouldn't anyway, because I don't know. I can't think of a good reason. Uh, but uh, an apple a day brings your sins into play. Mm. There we go. There it is. Definitely pick up this issue if you're curious about the storyline. Thanks, Pete. Let's move on. Talk about Bliss, number one from Image Comics, story by Sean Lewis and art by Caitlin Yarsky. We talked to Sean Lewis on our live show. It was always great to talk to him. Oh, we did? Uh, Great guy. uh, Yes, we did. Uh, But (laughs) sorry, Pete. I don't know if you were there. Uh, But... Uh, I don't think we're just uh, blowing smoke up his ass. This is a good book. I was yeah. very impressed with this across the board. And like if we blow looking... a lot of smoke up a lot of different asses, but mm-hmm. in this case, that is not what we were doing. <laughs> the uh, no disrespect to our amazing guests that we had on, and I had a lot of fun talking with them. But like the art's the real champion in this book. This art is really phenomenal, wow. and I know I'm a Bronco White record, but it's worth. <laughs> 
picking it up alone. I mean, it's really unbelievable art. So you're saying when you were talking to our guest, you were blowing smoke up his ass? No, I'm not saying that. Well, and if you remember, actually, Alex, the one question he did ask was about the art. That's true. (laughs) That's true. If you are curious about this book at all, again, listen to our interview with Sean because it'll explain it a little better. Uh, But basically, it is a son defending his father in front of a courtroom. We get the story of the father. It very slowly unfolds and almost seems not mystical at the beginning, but it becomes clear that it takes place in the city where there's a drug called bliss. It basically drains out your worst memories and the father gets embroiled in the mob creatures who sell this process. So creepy. Very creepy, but like you said, the art is great. It is very dreamlight throughout. Um, uh, this book is real, real good. The frog completely teeth thing like gave me nightmares. Uh, this book is great. I mean, we talked a lot about this with Sean. Like the way he brings blends in like big ideas and um, and the narrative drive of the story. The more emotional stuff is so good. Um, he comes from a theater background, which I thought was sure great. Does. And, and re- was that? I say sure does. It really shows. And it really shows in the book. Like the um it feels like uh sort of good older theater uh at play here and it's great. It reminds me of when I was a kid and uh going to Rochester and seeing a lot of different like theater stuff, you know? Mm. Wow, Rochester. Here we go again. Like Well just the something about Pete. the people the people in the book just remind me of Rochester for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. So stupid. (laughs) Uh, Wind number two for Boob Studios. Another book. What? Wind. 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 Uh, Another book written by James Tyner IV, illustrated by Michael Dialinus. Dialinus? We'll just speed it up in post. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Just fix that in post. Uh, So this takes place in a world where magic has been outlawed. It is called Weird, and there is one kid called Wind who is, in fact, magical, terrified of being magical, uh, who is stuck in the middle of all this as a... Uh, I don't know. A witch hunt basically is going after magical creatures weird again. Uh, weird hunt from a guy named the Bandage Man. Uh, I, we, I think we're pretty complimentary of the first issue. What do we think of the second one? I think we talked a little bit about um, in the first issue how it felt uh, like we didn't get enough information or it was left at a point where it was like, what is this? And I think these first two issues would be a great read together because uh, by the end of this issue, it's like, ah, I see what's happening. All of these characters that have been highlighted are going to go on this journey together. Um, I think the... The stuff with uh, wind um, is is really great, and it feels like it's about being uh, like growing up and being like a teenager and not fitting in with uh, with the people around you and and just dying to to have that work out, like to fit in yeah. or go somewhere else. I agree with Justin. Like uh, it, at first, it was kind of like what's your what's going on or who's doing what to whom, but this really solidifies things in a great way. The bandage guy uh, is kind of trying to take all these uh, cool, interesting characters and kill them. So uh, it's it's a it's kind of something we've seen before, but the the art really brings a freshness to it, and the writing uh, it's very cool. It, it's kind of old timey and a kind of steampunky kind of thing that I very much enjoy. It's almost like a Miyazaki film, uh, but mm. a little bit more. Uh, kind of fairy tale, uh, but yeah, I I I think this is a really cool, interesting story. I'm excited to see where this goes. 
I think the Miyazaki stuff, that's probably a really good touch point for it. Also yes. to jump off of something that Justin was saying, I am loath to recommend this because always support monthly comic books. But reading this, this feels like one that you might want to wait until the end of the first arc because it's going to feel like a complete first chapter at that point. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. I don't know. Pete, you froze just, whenever you were going to say what a, a horrible thing to be. What, what, what were you going to well, say? Well, I was just I was just shaking my head at you and, oh, and okay. the ridiculousness of your like, you know, I like things in halves and quarters and, you know, no, this is divided. it really doesn't feel like a complete story. Like it feels like the first issue. Great. Second issue. Great. But we don't have a sense of what the story is. And I don't think we really will until all of these characters that we're following meet probably at the end of the third or fourth issue. Um, so support and just it. to follow up. Yeah. Just to follow up. Uh, Pete, you um, you don't like that. Alex likes his things in halves and quarters And your main form of measurement is buckets, right? Yeah, buckets. Yep. Yeah. Just like but no, I think uh, you know eat if there's a cereal, something bucket to... full of cereal. You read mm-hmm. a bucket of comics. You know, you sometimes with comics, you don't get the whole thing right away. You got to wait for it. And then in this case, it'll be hopefully worth the wait. And it's really some interesting stuff. So you know, maybe we don't have all the things that Salva needs in this story, but I'm sure it's coming. Well, hopefully this is worth the wait because we're about to enter the Chip Zdarsky part of our podcast where we accidentally yes. talk about. Too many Chip Zdarsky books. Kicking it off with Lords of Empire, Emperor Hulkling, number one from Marvel Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky and Anthony Oliveira, pencils by Manuel Garcia. This is the book that I was teasing a little bit earlier, one of the many Empire spinoffs that are happening. This is a one-shot showing how Hulkling got from being on his own, just a regular dude living in an apartment in New York City to becoming the emperor of the Kree Skrull United Empire as we find him at the beginning of Empire. This is not only crucial information that you need to understand what's going on in Empire that feels like it should have come out beforehand rather than afterwards, um, but it's also a phenomenal issue that if you are a fan of the Hulkling, uh, what is he called? Wiccan now? He has a different name. Yeah. But Hulkling-Wiccan relationship, so good, so romantic throughout, so well done. I love this issue, and I wish I had read it months ago, so I would have been way more jazzed for Empire. Jazzed. Stay jazzed. Well, you know, maybe there was just some issues with everything coming out, and, you know, with COVID, things got messed up a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. It's a little weird to be this deep in the Empire thing and then get to know what Hulkling's deal is and why he's a part of it. So I agree with that. Um, yeah, the art's great. This is cool, kind of Hulkling story. You know, some sweet rom com love in there. Yeah, this is nice. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all of that. I think um, that the this is backstory to it. I don't mind that it's a little um, out of order because it's completely just separate from the the main uh, Empire storyline, which is so focused on the Avengers and the Fantastic Four. Um, but to your point, like I would not want to read the Empire series without knowing that what Hulkling's deal is, because the beginning of Empire it felt like Hulkling was a villain, and now you yeah. read this and it's like you're right there with with him. 
Yeah, I mean, I think part of the reason they held it back was to preserve the twist that the Kawadi are the bad guys, not the Kree and the Skrull. So I get that. But like I felt about the first issue of Empire, I wish they had just pushed past that twist. And, you know, even if people are wrong about it, made it clear that these are the bad guys so that they could have set this up in a more proper way rather than a backwards way. But that said, again, if you're a fan of the character, if you like Young Avengers, this fits right in. And I thought this was a great, great issue. Next up from Image Comics, low number 23, written by Rick Mender and art by Greg Takiti. I'll kick it right over to Justin, who picked this as his number one issue of the week. I love this book, and it's been a. We've had a long gap um, between the the last issues, the last issue and this issue, and this is sort of the the final uh, story here. Rick Remender, who is merciless with his characters, um, we've seen so many tragic, horrible things happen in this world, and he, this book. He does such a great job of just, along with Greg Dakini, the artist, of just creating these great mythical worlds and that touches on different genres. It was all the undersea stuff felt very pirate pirates of the Caribbean. Um, not the movies really, but just the, the concept or just like that mythology there. And then it got into sort of planet of the apes stuff in the, the last arc. And that's where we pick up here. And I, I just love it. It's so good. Yeah. It's really a crazy ride and classic remender every cool like person or person you start to care about he'll hurt them and break their heart and twist them around so it's also heartbreaking to read and at at some points i'm like damn you remender why this is one that i'm gonna have to go back and read again i think because it's come out so sporadically i spend half of every issue trying to recall exactly what happened over the past couple of issues um but like you said greg tacchini's art is so good the ending sequence is great even if you don't understand what's going on or remember who the characters are or anything like that just because the action is so well laid out and the danger is so well laid out um but great book there you go great book Wicked Things number three from Boombox, created and written by John Allison and art by Max Sarin. Big fan of this book. This is about a teen detective who goes to a teen detective convention, gets framed for murder, and now she has been taken in and forced to collaborate with the London police. That's where we pick up this issue. It's so fun. The characters are so good. I, I am enjoying this reading this so much and I'm also enjoying how much this issue kind of takes a swerve from the main action to set up some new characters and situations in a really fun way. I agree. Like it feels like a totally different book. Um, now she's just like sort of an intern at the police department, despite the fact that she's actually like being uh, held there basically as a prisoner. Um, but she's like the police department intern trying to solve crimes on her own. And that's also a fun story. So I'm curious how they're going to sort of dovetail it all together. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. The world that they're setting up, the art's really great. Um, you know, the only thing that kind of, I was like really on her side for most of it, but then she used somebody else's jam and I was like, that's a, that's a real dick move, especially when you put crumbs into the jam i mean that is just garbage move right there you're a big jam guy huh you like really i'm just saying if you you know 
when you're living in a place with other people, you really got to respect others and you can't just, you know, it doesn't all revolve around you and you can't just be in your own little world, especially when you're using other people's jam. And then the person who bought the jam and took the time to have the jam now is crumbs in their jam and it's just not right. That's why you're supposed to just use your finger and pull it out. Oh, my God. Uh, That's what I did whenever I came by your house for some jam. And you got stuck in his door, right? Yeah, that was a jam jam. <laughs> is it a big jam? Uh, but she's, uh, her frazzledness is starting to make me think she reminds me of the comic strip Kathy too much. And uh, I'm hoping things will kind of calm down a little bit. Wow, Ack. that's a, Ack, that's a yeah. crazy statement. Next on the Zdarsky beat, Daredevil number 21 from Marvel Comics, written by Here Chip Zdarsky go. and art by Marco Cicchetto. Uh This is picking up on the storyline where Daredevil is turning himself in for murder. And it, yeah, this is where we start off. There's a little bit of Foggy Nelson in this issue. You must have been what? jazzed about that, what? Pete. What do you mean, little bit? Foggy Nelson saves the day again in this comic. Like, how are you guys going to talk shit about Foggy now? Like, he is the only one keeping Daredevil Daredevil. Like, this guy is such a shit show, and Foggy Nelson's the only one who can rein this fucking crazy person in. I thought for sure you guys would read this and both apologize to me for the horrible things that you've said about Foggy <laughs> over the years. You should have known that would never happen. I, I am truly Proof sorry, is Pete. is right here. I'm surely, truly sorry, Pete, because Foggy Thank Nelson you. in this book, he shows up and does just standard lawyer stuff. So he is he's finally on par with any other lawyer in the world. You are Unbelievable. How can you read this comic and say that? That is not true. Uh, what I guess, uh, I, you like Foggy Nelson. I want just a clear sunshine day, Nelson. I want things <laughs> to be a little bit more fun. I want some fun energy from this guy. He's a fog. He shows up and it's like, oh, it's like hazy, foggy. No. The part of this book that I loved was, um, I think it's great across the board. The art's very good. But the interaction between Daredevil and Spider-Man in this, I thought was so good. Yeah, Different sides of both characters. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Very impressive across the board. And uh, where they're heading, I'm kind of fascinated to see. Just because repeatedly, Daredevil as a title has completely redefined how superheroes are treated in the Marvel universe, which is so surprising. And it feels like they're heading towards that again. I'm fascinated to see how it all pans out. Well, it's also interesting that, because I think there's one way to be like, oh, we're doing this thing again, where he's like going to reveal his identity. He's going to like go to court and all that. Because we did that a few years ago with Daredevil. But this does feel new. So I think if you're worried about that repetition, I think is a, this is a different take. Yeah, I also really like that other loyal's reaction to seeing Daredevil. Like, that yeah. was really fun. Good stuff. Next up from Image Comics, Die, number 12, written by Kieran Gillen and art by Stephanie Hans. Uh, this takes place in a fantasy role-playing game world, and there's a lot of things going on. <laughs> <laughs> that says uh, it all. No, I got to tell you, I really like this book. I like Stephanie Hans' art a little it's bit, but... A little bit. No, a lot. Sorry. I like Stephanie Hard's yeah. art a lot. I, I feel like I've lost the plot a little bit with this book, or maybe the, I can't tell if it's me or the book has veered too far from the basic catchy premise 
for me to hook into it because it's starting to feel like watching other people playing a role playing game. And it's a little frustrating as a reader, to be honest. Well, but I, th- I think that's what it is. Like, to me, uh, this reads like the DM's thoughts for a role-playing game, where, like, there's not a ton of explaining. It's just like, this stuff's happening, and you are being told what is happening. Yeah. And it's especially yeah. interesting comparing this book to um, – uh, the other book he does, um, Once in Future, Once in Future, which is so clean and so crisp and straightforward storytelling, and this is the opposite. It's just like try to keep up with these characters, see if you can remember what's happening. Oh, this character's daughter is an undead version of her daughter, but she doesn't. The daughter's older than she should be. So, is there time travel that they have to deal with? Yeah. No, they have to go. Like it's just. And there's no time to be like it is any of these things. It's just like that's what's happened. Now we got to go solve it. Yeah, I think it's. I think Zelbin, you got to give it an issue because I, I'm. I feel like this issue. There's a lot of kind of like moving things around a little bit, and I'm. I I feel like they've they started so strong, and the storytelling, the art has done such a good job that maybe this issue is just kind of like rearranging things, and then they're going to kind of get back on track. I know what you're saying, but like. I don't care. I'm going to give it a little bit of a wide berth just because the art and the storytelling and everything has been so strong up until this point that in this one, we've kind of, we're moving pieces. We're putting players into certain things, uh, setting things up. Um, and it was cool when they were looking up at that giant die and you saw the, the 20. Well, uh, so that, that was, I think that was the point for me where, And I understand what you guys are saying, uh, where I started to get a little frustrated because that we are 12 issues in and maybe I missed it. But just finding out that this world is literally shaped like a 20 sided die and that there's all these different areas that are all the different numbers on the die. I felt like, oh, that's such a clear idea. And it reminded me of how the book started the second arc that weaved in, Oh, there's all these different role playing games that are part of it. And I want to get back to that. I want to get back to like not reading through character sheets of characters that other people have created and all of their relationships and doing all the setup moves. I want to see those big moves. I want to see those ideas where it's role playing game, but real life. And uh, I hear what you guys are saying. I think we'll get there. The writing is ridiculously strong. The art is gorgeous. Um, But uh, there was something about this issue that just held me up. Maybe it was when I read it or how I read it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, next up, another one I'm curious to hear from you guys about, uh, Power Rangers Ranger Slayer number oh, one from yeah. Boom Studios, written by Ryan Parrott and illustrated by Dan Mora. This is actually the artist on Once in Future, which we like quite a bit. Uh, Pete, I'm going to turn to you because Power Rangers, like Transformers, is another one of those cultural blind spots for me where I just, I never got it. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so, uh... I watched it, uh, you know, back as a kid, and I also saw, like, a lot of, like, different kind of versions of Power Rangers. Um, But I really thought, because at first I was like, all right, you know, I'm not, like, the hugest Power Rangers fan, but I've watched a bunch and, you know, seen a lot of stuff. But uh, the action really won me over. And then when we got to see kind of, like, the big bad, that was really great. And it really kind of, this, this story did a great job of building steam 
and momentum and kind of earned it. I, I thought I was really impressed with this book. I kind of started reading it with my arms crossed and like, all right, Power Rangers. How'd you turn the but, pages? But uh, I was impressed with it. I was He's very got four impressed. Arms. Yeah, that's right. Um, I agree with you, Pete. This was very good. Um, yeah. And uh, especially I read it after reading Die. This felt like a, a sort of a cleaner, more straightforward version of that book. Like it's in this Power Rangers mythology, which I uh, don't really know. I was more of a Mystic Knights of Tirna Nog guy. Oh, uh, but wow. This, <laughs> but this, uh, <laughs> Excuse me, you dropped this sick ref, bro. Hey, only the sickest refs. Um, but this really, like, it played well. Like, I don't know the history of what a Ranger Slayer is, but it makes sense. It's in the name. Yeah. Um, and uh, Rita Repulsa, really, it's right there in my ancient middle school history. This is probably <laughs> a good thing rather than a bad thing, but I kind of wanted more of this. This story, this felt like, particularly when they introduced Rita Repulsa's Raging Ranger yeah. Dead. That it felt like, oh, this is deceased or Marvel zombies for Power Rangers. And I think that's such a neat idea. And I love that and hooked into that. And I wanted to see more of like this post-apocalyptic world where they're fighting against this. But then it got into the second half of the book where they're just like, this guy's back. You remember this guy from Power Rangers Beast Morphers 2 or whatever? And I was like, I don't know who this is. You must have loved you must have loved seeing Bulk and Skull. Oh, yeah. Come on. They've really worked out. Yeah. Yep. So that stuff for me was kind of lost. But Dead Mora is such a good action artist that it really yeah. just passed yeah. everything for me. Next up, Decorum, number three from Image Comics. Words by Jonathan Hickman. Art by Mike Huddleston. I'll call this the most accessible issue of Decorum by far. True. Uh, And um, if just in case you're wondering if any of that Hickman askness has faded in the back, you can find out that Jetty Khan, the alien from Fleesk, is 213 centimeters tall. And that's the kind of stuff that's the kind of back matter that you need in any sort of comic book. So here's my thing. Like you're doing the the symbol shit with X-Men and all that kind of stuff. So it just seems less creative to see it in another place as well. You know what I mean? Like, um, I don't, I don't know. Like maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's like really a cool thing to do and I'm just not hip on it, but I just, it just to see it in this book kind of makes me mad. I'm like, you're, you're doing what you did next, man. I don't, yeah, but like X Men is like the like plugged in playing the hits. This is like his jam sesh. This is where okay. this is his like MTV unplugged. This is his VH1 storytellers. This is where he's just letting the acoustic guitar sing. This um, is his cribs. This is this his is room his... raiders. His next whatever you want to call it, Beavis and Butthead, yeah. <laughs> Daria, the Max, Eon Flux. Yes, this is. His I was Eon wondering Flux. how many more you were going to be able to name. I, I think I ran out of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how many more 16. random Viacom shows he can name? I bet he can go all day. <laughs> They're paying uh, me by the time. Liquid television, bro. Liquid television, yeah. man. Um. Anyway, I, I do like this book. Yeah, yeah, I I like this book too. It's very cool. The art's unbelievable. But sometimes though, just like the pencil stuff was a little annoying. Where I was just like, ah, oh, could have maybe a little color, maybe a little bit more. Um, uh, Mike Huddleston, I love that it varies the art styles throughout, particularly yeah. when 
if you haven't been reading the book, the main thrust of the plot, the reason I say it's the most accessible is because it usually starts with some insane thing for several pages that does not seem to connect to the main action at all, but is about the history of the galaxy. Yeah. The bulk of the book is about a young courier who's being recruited by an assassin to join a school for assassins. This issue is just about that second thing, so or mostly about that second thing. So you get a sense of, oh, OK, this is what the actual book is about. And I can hook into this. But at the same time, you have Mike Huddleston doing things like going from very sketchy, uncolored pages to the mentor bringing the courier in and that it's suddenly fully painted pages and you feel the same way she feels seeing these things. And it's so impressive. I think it's like, it's done in a way that's part of the storytelling and and it amplifies it and, and kind of like really punches it, uh, the emotional parts really well, but just kind of like, it also in the slower parts pulls me out of it a little bit. Well, but I, and then you got to think though. You get down to these the last pages, and you get the JettyCon from Fleece two hundred thirteen centimeter uh, reveal, and that's like mm-hmm. fucking great. I spent the entire issue thinking she was two hundred and twelve centimeters, and I my jaw dropped. Yeah, what I exactly. got to that. Great book, X-Men versus, excuse me, X-Men plus Fantastic Four number four from Marvel, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Terry Dodson, Rachel Dodson, and Ranson Getty. This, given everything that's been going on, feels like an antiquated crossover from an earlier, more simpler time, uh, just because True. it's been months since this book came out. Yes, um, but I will say, uh, we covered a lot of Zdarsky books. I really liked this. I thought this... Was- this- Oh, the punishment that um, that Professor X gives to Reed Richards, I thought, was diabolical and just an, an amazing way to end the book. And the artistic way that they sort of played out the last couple of pages, I thought, was just really special. Um, yeah, I really love this book. I also really like the way Doom interacts uh, with the Fantastic Four kids. Like, it's really cool. Um, it's very hate Jonathan Hickman. And, uh, I, yeah, I really like this. Um, it did bother me that uh, Lollipop Xavier was being a, a complete douche, but, like, I don't know. I thought this was He took a, off his little hat, though, Pete. You must have loved that. Yeah, yeah, that part was cool. He's still kind of a dick. But, like, I really uh, – I thought this was a great book. The art was fantastic. Uh, it was nice and easy to follow with all these crazy events where you're not sure what's going on. This, like you said, brought me to a happier time and was a nice kind of like happy, relaxing read. Yeah, it's very good. Like you said, the Dotsons are always amazing on Love art. The, um, yeah. the Valeria Doom relationship is one of the oh, best things crazy. out of Hickman's run on Fantastic Four. So good. I'm not quite sure what the eventual conclusion it is because it seems like everything is status quo by the end. Um, but like you said, those last couple of pages definitely make it worth it. So good. Last one to talk about Tartarus number four from Image Comics, written by Johnny Crispus and art by Jack T. Cole. We've compared this a little bit to Decorum because it's also about a young woman who gets recruited into being in a group of assassins. This obviously goes in some wildly different directions. What do you think about this issue? 
Well, this uh, really brought me back to high school, you know, uh, when everybody was graduating and then a lot of yep. people got Definitely uh, high school. caught up into the assassin kind of, uh, uh, you know, drafting, if you will. Like, oh, I was thinking about joining this assassin league or this assassin league. I'm not sure about college. So, like, this really brought me back. And You went uh, to an assassin's community college, right? Well, yeah, yeah. It was like a, a pre uh, kind of like college thing. Um and it was really tough to get into, let me tell you. But yeah. I I love the creativeness of this, the art, the just kind of like storytelling. There's really flows in such a kind of like trippy, cool way. Uh, they really pay attention to detail on this. Uh, it's really an impressive story that kind of really pays off. I, I really like this. Uh, we talked about this with Dial a bit, but this is the comic book that I understood the least of what was happening um, <laughs> in the ones we read. Um, but it did. I had the revelation. It does remind me of Dune very much. Ooh. If you like ah, Dune, yeah, uh huh. I think you like this book. Yeah, this is less accessible than the last issue of this. I would say there's a lot of stuff that's going on, but the thing that keeps drawing me back and drawing me through the story, even when I'm not 100 percent sure what's going on, is Jack T. Cole's art is so good. Yeah, I've said it every cool. issue. It reminds me of Mobius in the best way. So if you're looking for something that has a bit of that European comics flair, I think this is a good one to check out. True. All right, that is it. If you want to support us, Patreon.com/slash/ComicBookClub. Also, we do a live show every. Every Tuesday at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We'll chat with you about comic books at Comic Book Live on Twitter, iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show, comicbookclublive.com, for this podcast and many more. We'll see you at the virtual comic book shop. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.